Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by YYZ Translations. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Translation Company Talk Podcast. I am Sultan Ghaznawi, your host, and today we will discuss customer service in the language industry. This is not a topic that receives enough attention, yet the customer is at the heart of everything we do. We will talk about the challenges and opportunities in this area of business. My guest today is Paul Doherty. Paul has set up two language service companies, the Language Technology Center, which became a $25 million business and later merged into Xerox Language Services, and Multilingual Technology Limited, which he sold to Berlitz during the dot-com era. Since then, Paul has been managing director of UK, German, Polish, and Slovakian companies for Berlitz, Bound, and Linebridge. He has led European sales for Linebridge and SDL, and he has worked as a strategic consultant to Moravia. Paul is Director of Strategy Management Consultants Limited, helping companies to implement transformative change. So, welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Let me dive into questions uh, directly. Let's hear uh, about how you got involved in the localization industry. Please tell us about uh, what got you into this field. What got you interested? Well, it's um, there was no great plan behind it. I, I left... Glasgow with a degree in philosophy and no idea about what I was going to do with my life. But what I wanted to do at that time was leave Scotland, get out of Glasgow, see the world, learn languages, meet foreigners, especially foreign women. And and I didn't realize it at the time, but the localization industry was going to allow me to do that. But at the time, I just wanted to get out. So I went to Germany and I worked as a laborer and I learned German. And then I moved to uh, France because um, I wanted, uh, laboring in Germany was cold, hard work. And I fancy somewhere warm. So I went to Nice in France and, you know, thanks to the EU, I was able to just move to Germany and France and apply for work and get work. So I worked uh, in a hotel as, as a receptionist. And although I had studied French at school, I really learned it in France. I met a Swedish woman, moved to Sweden, learned Swedish. And then after like six years of being abroad, I thought, you know, I better get back to Britain if I if I want to have a proper career. <laughs> so so I went back to London. Yeah. And I saw an advert in the in the the Guardian newspaper for an international company that were looking for foreigners who could speak English, right? right. And I, as a Scotsman in London, I considered myself a foreigner. So I thought, hey, I'm foreign, I can speak English, so I applied for the job. And I have no idea why I wasn't rejected instantly, but I got an interview. And when I went to the interview, the guy who interviewed me, you know, he was an English fella, and um, I thought, oh, he's going to say that I've just been kind of bumming around Europe for six years and he's going to view it negatively but he kept on saying so oh, so you went to Germany and you learned German he said oh I wish I'd done that and then he went to Nice wow that must have been interesting I wish I'd done that and so 
instead of him regarding it as negative, he he saw it as as a positive that I had been around and I could get on with people and and kind of merge in different cultures and learn the language. So at the end of the interview, he called in the HR woman and he said, "Well, we can't offer him a job because he's not a foreigner; he's Scott." He said, "But he's a very interesting chap." I thought his you know his response was really typically English in a nice way. He said, "You know." Very interesting chap. Bring him in and I'll find something for him to do. What he found for me to do was to put me in the translation department as a as a translation coordinator. Right. And that that was how I ended up in localization in 1987, completely by chance, at the end of a, a rambling interview, which I should never have had because I was totally unqualified for the job I applied for. Well, um, I guess they didn't see it that way. I mean, you... <laughs> You had fun, but at the same time, you developed some competencies that they were looking for, and and I think that's interesting. Yes, one of the things I did because in Sweden I worked for a, it was a it was a a design and typesetting company that that had uh, advertising Swedish advertising agencies as our customers, and I ended up being a customer contact. And in those days, in the the early nineteen eighties, there weren't many. Swedish-speaking Scotsman in Stockholm. So I kind of got adopted as a mascot by these um, Swedish advertising agencies. So they, <laughs> they they kind of invited me along to their launch events and uh, to their parties, which were which were kind of extravagant affairs. And um, so I, I discovered that kind of early age, I'm, I was good with customers. Customers kind of warmed to me and I could build up a relationship with customers. So I think the the guy who interviewed me, Mike Scott, he picked up on that. And in, in fact, out of that uh, interview, the Mike Scott who interviewed me, he then became my business partner. We set up a, a, a translation. No way company on our own yeah so i was six years at xerox and xerox at the time had developed a lot of computer-aided tools and they had they had invested loads and loads in the sistran machine translation and we saw a market an external market for to offer what xerox had developed externally but xerox weren't very keen on that so we ended up having to set up our own company called multilingual technology and uh, so Mike and myself and another colleague, Jane Mason, we set up that company and uh, ran it for seven years and then sold it to Berlitz. Good for you. Yeah, that, I mean, and, and then that spawned into Linebridge at some point, right? Yeah, so Berlitz was uh, bought by Bound and Bound was bought by Linebridge. And so, uh, you know, on my LinkedIn profile, it looks like uh, I was changing jobs most of the time, but really I was there and it was just the ownership that was changing but it was it was a great education because i learned a lot about mergers and acquisitions um i I learned a lot about how to do them well and unfortunately even more about how to do them badly let's let's uh, focus on what you're doing now uh when did you start focusing on customer service and relationship building relationship management i think that's one of your key areas that uh, that you concentrate a lot nowadays yeah so maybe the the little anecdote about you know the advertising Swedish advertising agencies kind of indicates I've I've always <laughs> worked in service companies and right. I've always been interested in customers. I mean, there's there's a very practical reason to be interested in customers. They pay your 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 salary, of course. Um, you know, indirectly. But there's also, I mean, 
I've always found customers interesting. You know, you go in and you see their office, their business, you learn a little bit. If you're curious, you can go and, and learn about their business, about their problems. And I was always like that, you know, okay, so I mean, what, what's this business? Who am I coming to see? Why do they want to buy from me? You know, and um, what problems are they facing? And then, I, you know, as I dealt with more and more customers, I saw that there was a, a common set of business problems that they dealt with, and, but they often had multiple different ways of solving it. And I just thought, you know, maybe one of the few benefits of doing a degree in philosophy, you know, that if you have uh, lots of answers to a question, they can't all be right. And if you've got lots of solutions to a problem, then they can't all be the optimal solution. Right. So that got me thinking about what's the best solution and how can I educate my customers on how to choose the best solution based on the experience I've gathered on in solving these types of problems for different people. I see. So, uh, and I guess customers liked that when, when you approach them and offer them uh, your way of solving a common problem that they all had together, right? Customers love it when you come in and you take an interest in them and the problems they're facing and that you've done a bit of work and homework on their business and they, they, they like you to take an interest. I mean, unfortunately, in the local industry, too many customer-facing people go in and just say, you know, their attitude is, what do you have for me today? And apart from the fact that customers just think, well, these, this guy, his, his only interest in me is what you can get out from me. But also, you are then putting yourself in the category of the vast majority of people they deal with who have no clue about what the customer does and even more damning, no interest at all. Right. So, speaking of lock world, uh, what is the current state of customer care in our uh, localization industry today? How are we perceived in general outside this industry? So, the, the state of customer care, I mean, there's lots of very successful companies in, in the localization industry. And any company that's been doing profitable business for, for years and years must be doing a lot of things right. So, that's the first thing to say. If you're in business and you're making money, and you've got customers over a number of, number of years, you must be doing something right. My take would be, you could be doing things a lot better. You know, of course. Um, most companies have absolutely no system in place to manage their customer relationships. So, and by system, we you know, train people a documented process and technology to make it more efficient. So they have no system in place, and therefore they're leaving their relationship with their precious customers to chance. And they have to leave it to chance because in the absence of a system, you don't have any option. What that means is by leaving the relationship to chance, or they, they can just focus on things like, well, the revenue this year is so much, last year was so much, oh, we'll stick in 10% for next year. Uh, we're making the profit still fine. Uh, we've not heard any bad news, so everything must be fine. Well, quite often it's far from fine, but you, but you know, as a business owner or as an executive or as a management team, you're not going to know about that until quite often it's too late to do anything about it. Um, so that's why a lost customer normally comes as a surprise, especially the higher up you go. But, you know, a surprise is sudden, but the development has been a long time in, in coming. So seen in that way, the current state of customer care, I would say, is is poor. 
poor to non-existent. And but because companies, even without a customer care system, can still deliver a good service, then people are able to stay in business, but could be doing so much better, and they could be avoiding that that horrible crisis of an unexpected loss of customer or an unexpected loss of 50% of the revenue from your top customer. You didn't see that coming, but you could have if you'd had a system in place. So so you need to uh, have a system and uh, you need to know how to implement such a system. And that's one of the things I know what to do. So the, the second part of your question was how are we perceived in general outside the industry? Well, Outside the industry, there are customers who see LSPs as strategic partners and others who see LSPs as a pure commodity buy. And there's a reason for those two different attitudes. So, uh, you know, some companies are absolutely great at just focusing on their key customers and um, you know making sure that they're relevant for them, thinking ahead, where's the market going, where should we be going, and, and letting the customer see that they are working that they're not taking that future relationship for granted they're thinking ahead and thinking for the customer and then you've got the other ones who just say well you know you've asked us to do this and we've done it and we've done it to the quality that you asked for so therefore you must be 100% satisfied and although the truth is the customer expects more than just you know the service delivery satisfaction is a minimum requirement but they expect suppliers to be thinking for them, thinking ahead, coming to them with ideas about how to do run their business better. And that's depending on how well you do that, you'll either be seen as a strategic partner or as a just another commodity LSP who can be replaced with no problem at all. I agree with you, Paul. I, I think a lot of LSPs today or LSCs as, as the terminology is changing to focus on the transaction. They just want the transaction to be completed. They want to bill for that project that they've completed and they want to move on. But I think it doesn't end there, does it? Customer wants to not just outsource their translation, but they want to outsource the solution for their problem. We don't do a good job in that, uh, right? Um, Many don't do a good job in that. And uh, some companies I know do a superb job in that. Um, But yeah, so that's I agree with your statement. Okay, you touched upon the system. You said uh, we need a system to make sure that the customer is well taken care of and they feel comfortable doing business with us. So that includes people, process, and technology. Explain to me how they form a delivery enabler for our industry or, or a specific translation company. Well, so if you take customer care, which is, you know, it's a way of ensuring that you know what your customer is thinking, whether they're thinking you're doing a great job or a bad job. Yes, a way of gathering information from each customer, your interaction. So people go and meet customers all the time, but what gets captured from that? You know, it might be an email from a a project manager to their manager, or it might not. It might just be a conversation when they're back in the office. So there's, if you have a system, then you'll be able to capture that information. So you'll be capturing opportunities and threats as well, best practices. So you need people who are trained. Customer-facing people should be trained in how to think like a customer rather than think like a, a language service supplier. So you can think, how can I make myself relevant to the customer? And so, so they need to be trained in that aspect, thinking like a customer. They need to be, there needs to be a cultural change. Like 
you're, you know, you're there to capture bad news right. and good news. You're not just there to kind of like hope no bad news comes up. Bad news is something you should welcome in a way because it gives you the opportunity to fix it. And that demonstrates to the customer that he's got the right partner. So you need the people to be trained. You need a process you know, so right. like a process would be a complaints process, you know, with a corrective action to fix the problem, a preventative action to stop it reoccurring again, a knowledge sharing step so that other people can learn from what you're doing in this account. Because many companies, they do a fantastic job in customer A, but the customer B team don't know about it because there's no information sharing. It's amazing how often that happens in companies. It's not consistent. They, they, they one part of the business doesn't know what the other part is doing. And that means that when Team B encounters the same problem or if they've come up with a solution and customer B says, hey, I've got this problem, can you solve it? Quite often, they'll be told, oh no, we don't have a solution for that, even though Team A has solved it for their customer. So you need a process. You need people trained. You need a documented process. And we are terrible at documenting our processes. We think, process documented processes something you do once stick it on the wall and then you know let it gather dust for five years but the whole idea of documenting the process should be that when you have a problem and a customer complains a problem you look at the process and say what went wrong with the process how can we modify the process to prevent this happening again if you don't have that process documented what do you do or you look around at, at johnny or jenny who have been the designated person at fault and then you know you beat them up or you fire them and everybody feels good that somebody's been taught a lesson but nothing's been learned you know so and then the third part so you train people documented process everybody knows where they are everybody knows what the process is and then you need the technology to enable that. So you need the technology so that people can enter information. Hey, I've got this complaint. I've had this compliment from a customer. Customer thinks we've done a great job here. Customer's got a, a, a problem, which is an opportunity for more business, but I need help in, in how to come up with a solution, which will earn us more money, or there's a threat. Customers told me there's a competitor in talking to them about whatever, right? So you need to be able to capture that on a system which and generate a way of communicating that there's a problem. I need help. There's an opportunity. Let's work on it and earn some more money. And then you need to be able to, to report on that. How is it going? The complaint. So a, a good system will have give you a, a certain number of days, say five days to fix the problem. 15 days to come up with a preventative action. And if you don't do it in that time, then it generates automatically a red flag, which goes into a report. And so when back in the day, I would get on a Monday morning, uh, you know, a, a report about different customers with complaints, compliments, opportunities, suggestions for improvement. I could see where, without having to ask anyone, I got a report delivered to me and it was pushed to me. I didn't have to go look at it and within the report there was enough information for me to understand which ones I might have to get involved in personally so that's the technology part for making it and those three things the trained people the documented process the technology to speed up data capture and communication that's all part of that customer care system but above all i think it's 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 a mindset um, and it needs to start from the top once you have that then you can put these pieces together correct i mean there there's um culture is is a huge determinant and you know there's i've been an executive 
and I was managing director and Geschäftsführer and I've led companies so I'm I know what I'm talking about, but executives are the biggest problem to the mindset. It kind of that it's difficult to get executives interested in customer care. They see it as something is really unless until the customer said, Hey, we're leaving, we're we're firing you and then they get involved. But often it's too late. But um, the, and depending on the culture, and uh, I, I mentioned in my low world presentation, uh, just keeping it simple, there's three types of response to a lost customer, which is a in, good in, indicator of company culture. The first one is that they look for someone to blame, which, and that, you know, someone's going to get blamed. That means that people are very unwilling to communicate bad news. They try to hide it and keep it covered up. The other one is that. A loss is bad news. A lost customer is just kind of airbrushed out of existence. It's as if it never happened, as if that customer was never our customer. They've gone. We never talk about them again. So again, nothing's learned. It's like, okay, that's history. Let's move on. And then there is the, the healthy culture, which is kind of looking at why did this happen and how can we prevent it happening again? What can we learn about it? And how can we improve uh, the overall system, the, the overall process to prevent this happening again? And that is, um, I think, the, the least common, least common attitude. Although, uh, if you ask people, they'll, they'll always say, yeah, we do this. We, um, we have this. We on, ha- have an honest and open discussion about what went wrong. But I'm quite a, a, a kind of believing person. So, but although I would naturally, Assume that what people were telling me was true. If I had my consultant hat on, I would ask him for evidence of the truth of, truth of that statement. And when you ask for the evidence, you'll normally find it's not there. Uh, absolutely. And, and I have to say, I'm guilty of that in my company. We don't do enough of it to make sure that we uh, identify those opportunities, those customers, and uh, try to, first of all, you know, avoid that churn. Uh, but if it does happen, we should figure out how to do it. I think there is a, a lack of consistency in customer service across the board within the LSP landscape here. And uh, you alluded to your uh, lock world talk, and I listened to that. It was very, very valuable, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. The, you mentioned something about the fact that customers are willing to talk. Customers have concerns, and they want to speak with you. They want to tell you something, and LSPs are not listening. Why is that that most suppliers don't respond to them? They're not interested in, in listening to their customers. Customers do and they are quite, when customer complaint is a, is a call from help from the customer, they've said, help, I may have chosen the wrong supplier. Please convince me that I've not chosen the wrong supplier, but I've actually chosen the right supplier. That's what a complaint is. And depending on how you respond to that, if you respond professionally, they'll go, that's a relief. I've got the right team on my side. And if you don't, they'll go, oh, dear, I've made a real mistake and I'm going to have to dig my way out of this hole. So that that's the way I look at, you know, customer. Now, why the supplier would not be interested in it is because quite often the people who are at the front line, project managers, operations teams, they're so busy, caught up in the day-to-day work. They don't really have time to respond professionally to a, a, a complaint. They might be able to fix that particular problem, but they, you know, they don't think beyond quite often about how can I prevent this happening again? Who else could benefit from learning this? Or even their fix might not be optimal. Their, their corrective action might not be optimal because they don't know it's a more optimal solution was developed in a different account, but it hasn't been communicated to them. Quite often, project managers have 
zero training in how to deal with customers, how to think like customers. So that there's you've got this kind of perfect storm of you know a, a customer with a big problem looking for a, a professional response, and unfortunately the people he's dealing with are not trained in how to respond to that problem properly. Uh, but there are people in the company who could, if they knew about that problem, they could sort it out quite easily, take that that problem away from the busy project managers and the operational staff and deal with that themselves. But for that, the, the, the knowledge has to be shared, entered and shared, instead of, as it is, verbally maybe talk to the manager who also doesn't know and quite often doesn't care enough to do anything about it. Right. That's a good point when we're talking about misalignment between what the customer is asking and uh, what the supplier has to offer. So aligning what a customer needs and what you're selling to them is key in business, I guess. How do you accomplish that? I know we alluded earlier to to having a process, a system in place. Does this also fall within that system? Well, in, in, in as much as any opportunities uh, would would be captured within the system and acted on and made visible so the right people, the right team could be assembled to deal with that opportunity to to ensure the best chances of realizing that opportunity, winning more business. But, you know, the aligning, you know, to customer needs uh, and what you sell them, the, the first, I think it's education, starting out with educating yourself about the customer, you know. Customer needs aren't always obvious. You can talk to them. Right. You can talk to your customers and say, first of all, you can do a bit of research. It used to be difficult to do research. You know, you'd have to, before the internet, I know I'm going back, I'm showing my age here, but before the age of the internet, the phone book research time. Was, <laughs> research was, you know, financial times, financial press, what you could glean from other people. And I used to do that. You know, I had automotive customers as, um, uh, automotive companies as my customers and I used to read the automotive press. I used to go in and tell them something that they didn't know about their industry. But now it's so much easier with the internet. You can get all the annual reports, the company reports, the press releases. You can get news about your customer company ping to you on a daily basis. If you, there's, you know, there's no reason not to know about your company and if you know that customer company strategy then you can go in and impress your customer contact by saying hey i heard your your strategy this year is to do such and such and such so many model launches or to get into this market or cut back or whatever it is you can impress your contact by knowing about his company's strategy and uh, you may even know it better than he does so you're showing then you're taking an interest and then you can say well what does that mean for you mr customer contact you know right what does that mean for you what are you going to be measured on this year what problems are you going to be facing you know next year or next quarter whatever it is how can i help and um and that is something that is so rare that anybody goes in and just asks those questions takes that kind of and it's a genuine interest it's not a cynical and pretending to be interest but you know just tell me how many words you'll be sending for translation next month that's why i'm here but it's a genuine interest in that problem and that will be noticed and that will set you out or anybody who's got a customer facing role that they've taken they, they've taken the time to learn about what their strategy is and maybe what that means for each particular customer contact you means and if you ask if you ask them they will tell you 
quite often they'll tell you because they're that's what interests them you know how can they be successful and what they tell you can help you then come back and say hey what if we did this how about this would this help and then you're off and you're positioning yourself as a strategic partner rather than just uh, an order-taking commodity supplier absolutely but i think for a lot of uh, language companies that might be a concept they're not very familiar with because they have um, not done it before. And and I think it takes a little bit of uh, relationship building and a little bit of trust to get the customer to open up to you like that. And that starts with the fact that you take interest in them and you open up to them. Is that right? Well, I, I think it, it can work even before they're a customer. I mean, I find that doing the research before you go in to see a new prospective customer and saying, well, is customer, you know, is they're in this particular industry sector, so they have, they'll be facing these problems. Who am I talking to? Is it a, a, a marketing manager? They'll be facing these particular problems. Or is it a product developer? Well, here's a common set of business problems they typically face or a documentation manager or whatever it is. Then if you go in and instead of what, typical sales people will do and go in and bore bore them stiff with a 40 slide presentation about how great your co- your company is and all the brilliant things you can do if you go in instead of presenting on your own company just go in and say here what well, i think i know about your company here's what i think um, are the common set of problems you'll be facing and here's how uh, would you be interested in hearing how we solve these problems for other companies in in your industry sector you you know you'll get a different response you'll get the, the company you'll get you'll get an audience they'll be listening to what you say and based on how well you've prepared that do you have good stories to tell about how you've solved those problems the customer will open up to you even at that point when you're not when you know you're just uh, another company coming in to do a sales pitch to them you'll get a different response because their existing customers either never did that or started off doing it and have given up doing it you know three or four years ago and uh, they're taking their customer for granted so, so i think it's, it's it's never too early to to that's an approach that works you know at any stage so what what i'm understanding here is that um, in a conversation with a with a customer it's not about you it's about the customer try to um, uh, highlight their issues so they know that you have noticed those problems and you possibly have a solution for them and get their attention and they might actually start giving you business for that correct so you're demonstrating competence you're demonstrating integrity because you've come prepared um and and it's, so it's about them. Your focus is totally on them and, and what you can do for them and help them solve their problems rather than, unfortunately, and I've worked in sales for a long time, most salespeople or account managers go in and they do zero preparation because they don't need to prepare because they'll come in and they, they've got their 40-slide presentation which they bring out to every prospect, which is all about them about their the LSP, how, how great they we are. are yeah. yeah, we've got offices here, here, there, and everywhere. We can do it in 35 languages. Look at our CEO. Isn't he fantastic? <laughs> you know, 
And, you know, the, and the, the customers just go, you, you see them coming in the curiosity, the customer curiosity towards the presenter. You see their eyes glazing over there. It's just another disappointment. Unfortunately, that's the typical way. Okay, it's, it's a bit of a caricature, but not much. Whereas great salespeople will come in and they'll have a conversation based on what they know about the prospective uh, company and based on what they know about the people who normally sit in that role, whatever that is, CMO or CFO or technical officer or whatever operations, they will go in and they will know, they will understand what those those guys are facing. Absolutely. Let's shift gears uh, here a little, Paul, and and talk about uh, retention and churn. These are top of mind for customer-centric organizations. What are some of the best practices to improve retention and reduce churn? Well, I'll come to a surprise that I'm going to say that having a system for customer care will improve retention um, because it gives you a way of demonstrating that you care. So if you've got a system of customer care where you capture complaints and you know you're tracking the corrective action preventative action you can show that you share knowledge and best practices across the company and that your customer can benefit from solutions that have been put in place for other customers inside your organization then that's that's a way it's, it's a concrete way of saying hey we're different we care about you i i used to insist that people when they went in to meet customers say for quarterly business reviews or monthly post-project reviews or whatever i always said start off with customer care you know show the customer all the complaints that they've made in the last quarter and how we sorted them for them that we didn't just fix it corrective action but we actually had a preventative action which is going to stop the reoccurrence of the same problem and i got a lot of pushback in that initially because people were saying, well, it's a business review. Why do we want to start off with something as negative as that? Because it's not a negative. It, the, the customer, once you've fixed a problem, they've kind of forgotten about it. They fixed it. I'm happy. But it's important that you remind them because they forget. So you remind them of the number of complaints, how you fix that and how you're going to prevent that. And then they go, ah, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. That was great the way you sorted that. And some customers say, I've never had anybody report to me on all the complaints we've had and it's just they, they saw it as very very positive and it's a it's a great these reports are a great way of demonstrating that you care Absolutely. and uh, it, it, it generates great loyalty so the best way to prevent churn is have a system of customer care now some churn is inevitable i mean a system of customer care won't prevent your customers going out of business some customers turn out to be a waste of time as well you know right they they waste your time they say they want to do things and they don't do it or you know so churn is inevitable what, what you want to avoid is the unexpected churn you know the unknown churn the disastrous horrible loss of a, a major customer or loss of a major part of their business and a system of customer care will prevent that coming as a surprise because uh, you know as i said in my lower presentation you know how do you lose customers very slowly then very suddenly it comes most people only uh, and especially at the executive level only get the very suddenly i never saw this coming why did this happen but if they'd had a system of customer care they could have seen the developments and prevented them getting to the point where the customer said enough is enough 
Right. That being said, again, uh, churn is inevitable, as you said, and, and that happens sometimes if there is not a good fit between what you're offering and what the customer needs. Sometimes, actually, you may have chosen the wrong customer. So earlier you spoke about the fact that you need to learn about your customer and ask them the right questions. So if you don't do your homework ahead of time, you will end up with unnecessary churn afterwards too. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so let's talk a a little bit about uh, churn again. Uh, You said the customer service uh, system would help you, um, you know, look at trends, look at how things are moving. How do you measure churn? Uh, how do you set up a KPI system within your uh, customer service, I guess, mindset or, or, or you know, system as a whole to measure churn, to ap- apply a number to it, whether it's a dollar value or it's the number of customers that you've lost? How do you do that? Well, the, the way it's normally done um, in the absence of a system is they will, some companies will say, we'll measure lost customers, number of lost customers, or they, you know, they the amount of lost revenue that goes out of the system. And some will say, well, measure actual versus plans. So we were planning to do X million with customer. This customer, we turned out to do uh, only three quarters of that or, you know, half of that. And they'll measure that kind of thing. But it's all kind of after the fact. You can't really do anything about it. I think a system of customer care will allow you to come up with, to identify reasons why is you know the customer revenue going down? I mean, if you have a decent system of customer care and you're documenting opportunities and threats, then an opportunity would be, hey, the customer is going to be launching two new pr- products this year instead of one. There's an opportunity. Oh, I've just had a meeting with the customer, and it looks like uh, the product launches whatever it is is going to be other is going to be next year rather than this year, or the marketing campaign is going to be in ten languages instead of twenty six. That has to be documented, or it might be that they've had you know they were on a final warning for, because we've not been delivering what they've expected, and um, that gets captured in the system, and that should generate action at this at their correct level to say hey if we're on the final warning what can we do or if the customer said this marketing campaign um the revenue is going down what can we do to regain revenue from somewhere else because in existing accounts if you're having a tough year and you're not making your numbers it's existing customers that will come to the rescue if you know who to talk to and how to talk to them if you've got the kind of relationship of trust where you can go in and say the conversation isn't going to be hey give us more money but it's going to be you know what else can we do we've been thinking about how else we can help you so but you need to know that the revenue is not going to be as planned and you can't wait until you know, quarter three to finish to realize you're going to have a a lower quarter four than planned. You should be knowing about that in quarter two and doing something about it there. And that's where a system of customer care can help you with that. Absolutely. It costs a lot to find one good customer, one profitable customer. But it takes one bad experience or interaction to lose them. You, you, we keep going back to the system of setting up a customer service, I, I guess, strategy or system. How do you avoid customers having bad experience with you? Well, depends on the bad experience. I mean, things will go wrong, but that's not normally what makes a customer walk. A, a cus- customers will go because you continually demonstrate that you're incapable of responding appropriately when things go wrong. So customers start out full of hope and they only become bitter and resentful because of um, 
your actions or the lack of actions you take. So it's normally not the result of one interaction, although it can be, but it's normally as a result of delivering disappointment over a long period of time. Now, a, a system of customer care will reduce the chances of you losing customers in that way because the whole point of the system is to capture each instance of disappointment so that you can do something about it. You can you can be aware. I mean, as when I was MD of um, uh, Berlitz in the UK and I was losing customers, I, I I just thought I can't afford to lose customers. I can't afford to be finding out things too late. I'm going to come up with a way that I find out almost instantly there's a problem with the customer. And the way was it that the way of doing that was to change a bit the the culture, which was people were scared uh, to report complaints because they thought they'd get into trouble or delivering bad news to get into trouble, or else they were so confident that they could sort out the complaint themselves without anybody's help, they would do that and quite often it was the actions they chose were wrong or else they would make a value judgment on what the customer was complaining about. Oh, he's always complaining. He's a difficult customer or he just doesn't understand the process. I just wanted to take away all that. I just said you'll be forgiven everything as long as you put the details into the, the, the system, which will generate an email, which will come straight to my desktop, and I'll see customer X has this problem. And that actually worked. I had to you know, communicate that. I had to talk to people and saying, we all make mistakes, but whatever you do, don't come compound your error by trying to keep it secret, because it will be found out eventually, and, but uh, you know, it'll be quite often too late to do anything about it. So that worked. The, the data was entered onto the system, I found out about it. And on almost all occasions, the proper people, sometimes including myself, were able to get involved and to to prevent that escalating into a lost customer situation. And that's very interesting. Let's talk about how does technology play a role in keeping the customer happy? Can we talk about that in the context of uh, translation companies? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's obviously, there's a big push has been for over decades within uh, the localization industry to develop technology to help things and uh, help deliver better faster and cheaper help customers do more for less money and to eliminate all sorts of waste so you know, we've got um, translation platforms language clouds automating all the hand handovers automating all the analysis of of content to be translated so i mean that's well underway and there's a lot of money and attention given to that machine translation artificial intelligence data-driven decision making i think in, in in terms of the industry there's a lot of focus on it companies with money are able to spend it companies with um spend on their own solutions and and um companies with less money or there's plenty of off-the-shelf solutions out there for them so in that respect i think you know it's the local industry is becoming more mature but when it comes to um technology uh, to deliver instant customer feedback i think uh, it's totally inadequate so customer feedback complaints compliments opportunity threats is in most companies it's done by email or word of mouth even even written reports from customer meetings are rare right. in my experience. So I think that's where most companies are missing a trick because the technology to deliver 
instant customer feedback is quite simple. It's a database with a web front end linked to an email distribution. It's not the technology side is quite simple, you know, being able to generate reports. The technology was there decades ago and it's even better now. But I think it's the, and you mentioned this this earlier, you know, the, the, the culture, there has to be this, as it was in the case when I was the managing director, there has to be somebody at the top saying, enough is enough, I'm fed up losing customers like this. And that that decision, that determination to, to do something about it is what helps drive everything along. So if only a fraction of the time and thought and money that's spent on uh, operational technology was spent on um, customer care technology, most companies would be in a great position. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my beef is with the tools providers uh, within the translation industry. They've created great tools for things like translation management systems and, and uh, project management systems, but they haven't done a good job of creating uh, a robust CRM or customer relationship management that ties in all these translation-specific tools together to provide um, data and statistics. But uh, I think that would change at some point. Like right now, most companies are probably using things like Salesforce or outside CRMs. But it would be nice if we had uh, CRMs built for our industry that specifically address those needs. Okay, that was just a comment. Uh, customer satisfaction is something that we uh, that very few uh, companies in this industry measure. The question is, how do you actually measure satisfaction? You mentioned earlier that you go talk to your customers and so forth. I would like to hear from you about uh, you know how do you do that formally? It should be your top KPI item in the business because after all, customers spend money and they're the reason that your business is thriving and surviving. Yeah, very few companies in our industry measure customer satisfaction, but some do. And um, so here's the way. So if you were going to do like a pie chart, you'd be the biggest pie slice would be companies that do no customer satisfaction measurement at all. Then you'd have the next slice that would be customers who have a, some sort of customer satisfaction survey, normally an annual survey. And some of them are well run, you know, they use professional uh, companies sometimes to, to run the, the, the surveys to make sure the right questions are asked and to gather information. Some don't. Some are done in a kind of ad hoc manner they're poorly planned and executed just send off in an email and hoping the customer is going to find the time to re- reply instead of asking for a meeting or a call and walking them through the making it an interview but but then so for the ones who do have the surveys they'll get an overall number whatever the number it is that they're measuring you know net promoter score is a typical one but then so so that would be the second biggest uh, pie slice in the pie chart then you'd have a next one how many then analyze the results of that customer satisfaction and that would be a smaller slice and then you could have a slice in well how many people how many companies take action based on the results of that analysis i don't think many and that would be a tiny slice (laughs) and then how many follow up on those action plans to make sure that they're followed, so that they're completed, and and look at the results, and that would be a minuscule slice. Wow! Yeah. And then the smallest slice of all would be how many then report those results 
back to the customer. Here, customer, here's what you said and here's what we did about it. What do you think of this? And it's the tiniest, minuscule, infinitesimally small slice of the lot. But some companies do do the whole thing and they're normally companies with uh, uh, great customer loyalty. So you can see that, you know, doing the survey is just the start of that uh, journey. But it's a journey that very few companies complete. So, uh, Paul, let me ask you a question related to that. You have to build a system, and this has to be part of that system. Um, without feedback, uh, you can never improve the system. Do you need a customer service dedicated person to, to run this in, within your organization? Because obviously, you know, not everyone can be responsible for everything. And customer service is such a top priority, given an LSP that cares about uh, their customers. Yeah, well, that touches on the question of investment. I mean, people would love to have this in place and it all to be working fine. And But, you know, when you say, well, you know, there's, there's a bit of investment, you're going to have to train people how to think like a customer, how to do root cause analysis. You're going to have to change your culture if it's toxic. And that means starting with you, Mr. CEO or Mr. Managing Director, you know, because you're part of the problem. So you're actually going in telling people things they don't want to hear, which is difficult. Right. Um, especially if they can fire you. So that there is an investment. And if you're a small, medium enterprise listening to this, you may think, oh, well, I, I can't afford to have people dedicated to this. Well, I mean, I had a very small company, 45 people, and uh, we did it because it was small enough for me to get involved and for um, you know opt leaders to get involved. We found a way of taking it off the PM's hands so they could focus on the service delivery and we could focus on the difficult problems that the customers were facing. So we weren't cutting the operation team out of it, not at all. We were involving them. They should be engaged. Absolutely. We were positioning them as somebody who can solve problems, but we weren't leaving them to their own devices. So how do you do that? Uh, I know that in in large companies and, you know, so my company was acquired by Berlitz, was acquired by Bowen, was acquired by Limebridge. By the time we got to Limebridge, Limebridge had done a fantastic job of installing this, you know. I've not worked for Limebridge for nine years. I've no idea what the current state is, but at the time, it worked really, really well. They had a dedicated team. So they had a dedicated team of auditors, trainers. It wasn't huge, but it was big enough that people in the field knew that it was important that they support the system because people in the field are always looking to see how important is this to the executive team. Does this get mentioned? If I don't do this, will anyone notice? It was noticed. So it has to be noticed. I mean, and this comes from the top as well. If it's important to the CEO and it's genuinely important and he's made a commitment, he or she has made a commitment to solve this problem, then you will find the organization will come on board, especially if you involve them in their ideas for um, how to implement it, their ideas for improving processes, giving them a forum where they can say, instead of waiting for customers to complain about things, say, hey, you know, this is the current process. I think it could be improved like this. So it actually generates a lot of proactive improvement within the um, the supplier organization so that customers don't need to come with their own uh, suggestions for improvements in the form of complaints. So let's talk about customer journey. And processes that guide that journey should be designed very carefully. Do you see that happening in uh, in the translation industry? 
what considerations should be taken in order to map out that customer journey across all touch points? Well, there's been a lot of work done on customer journey from a sales point of view. You know, so from the initial interest to buying and post-buying support, let's say, for products. So I've worked for companies that sell services and technology. And on the technology side, sales side, there was a lot of work done on what's the customer journey and um, how do we ensure that, you know, from that initial interest to purchase and then afterwards we make the the new customer a kind of ambassador or advocate for whatever technology product they were buying. And some of the larger LSPs I worked for, they had very big and very professional marketing departments who spent a lot of time and effort uh, on that particular customer journey. Um, But there's nowhere near the same amount of investment in the customer care journey, which is, for me, is the the existing customer. That pays the bill. That pays the bill. (laughs) Where, you know, 85, 90% of your revenue is coming from. Whereas, you know, most LSPs, even the huge ones, they have 50% of their revenue from 10 customers, right? So even if, and then some some have a long tail with hundreds of customers supplying the other 50%. And some companies just say, hey, you know, we have we have 50% of our revenue from five customers and we're, we're only going to take maybe, we're only looking for one of these giant companies or, uh, you know, companies that have the ambition and, and, the, and the money to say, yeah, we, we need you to help us do this. So they might, some companies only go for say the top 10 and they're not interested in the, in the hundreds and hundreds of other ones they just say that's a distraction that's a commodity business we're going to be in the, the top 10 business or top 15 business but whatever whatever um, strategy your company has it's true to say that almost, you know most of the business comes from very few customers and those very few customers deserve at least a system where you can keep your fingers on the pulse of what's going on in something more than just what's the revenue, what's the profit, what's the annual customer satisfaction score. It's not nearly enough. And um, one or two exceptions, almost nobody does that. Okay. Let me um, talk a little bit about um, how to, I guess, uh, we talked about listening to customers. Now it's about talking to customers. I believe in the 80-20 conversation model where you talk 20% of the time and let the client speak 80% of the time. I've seen, unfortunately, that many people believe they can talk and brag about themselves and the service or product they're selling. Why is that? And, and how do you build a culture in your organization to promote more listening, empathy, and understanding? Yeah, well, I, I did touch on the you know the, the salespeople who go in with the 40 slides. I did join right. a, a company once upon a time where I you know I'm a sales leader for for Europe and I would go in and and at first I would just come along the sales guys would say oh you don't need to come along it's just a prospective guy I said no I want to hear what's going on and that's you know for the the, the meetings I was, you know, like the customer bored to tears by going through these 40 slides which marketing had prepared for sales and saying what a great company this particular organization was and it was a great organization by the way but 
you know, this was not the time to be telling right. the customer how great you are. This was the time to be finding out what the customer's problems are. So I think the people who talk all the time are the ones who haven't done the homework. Because think, you go into a, a sales situation and you've got your 40-slide presentation, which you've done loads of times because everybody has to suffer this thing, right? So you can you can, you can can do this presentation in your sleep, right? So right. How much pres- how much preparation do you need to do for the meeting? Well, you need very little. You know the name of the the the, the company and maybe the two or three people who you're going to torture for the next hour. So you'll know their names and titles, and that's about it. And therefore, you talk and 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 uh, look at the clock, and then you say thank you. Any questions? Goodbye. If you've got anything else, we'll be in touch. So I changed that. The to We'll do some um, research on the company. We'll agree based on the titles of who we're going to see, what the common set of business problems they were going to be facing. And then we're going to go with, we're going to just get confirmation from them that they are, you know, facing those problems. Maybe they're facing some, but not others. Maybe they're facing different set of problems. And based on that, we will then say, would you be interested in hearing how we've, solve those problems for other people and the answer to that will be yes and then and only then if they say tell me something about your company will we take out a small set of slides which addresses whatever particular question that they have and that that was the change and therefore based on that chain you're going to be doing a lot of listening rather than a lot of talking because the customer is going to be telling you things that, you know, problems they face and um, they'll be asking you questions about how you've solved that for other people. Okay. We we touched on this earlier, but customer feedback is key to mapping or ma- making changes to your current uh, offering or process. How should customer feedback be analyzed uh, and who should be looking at it? I know you mentioned earlier that you have been in situations where you had to develop a system where customer feedback was quickly reported back to the decision maker. But I would like to know, how do you do that? How do you create that structure? Well, the the the, the structure is the system, you know. So you have to decide what are you going to capture and analyze. And typically, that you'll want to know about complaints. You'll want to know about things you've done well, compliments. You'll want um, to be able to identify from that best practices and how to share that. Also important is the opportunities for new business. Quite often, customer will say to whoever happens to be in front of them, you know, it'd be great if you could do this for me. And it, it, depending on who that person is they're talking to, that'll either be forgotten or misreported. Whereas if it's um, entered onto a system, then other people can say, great we've sorted that we, we'll come in and we'll present to the customer on how we can solve that particular problem or threats as well. So, and then you want to get, be able to analyze that, you know, by, you know, the opportunities and threats are they large, are they easy, small or difficult to deal with, you know, um, what kind of time frame, who's the best pe- team to deal with it. So that's what a system will do. But the, the first, you were saying, you know, who should be looking at it? And I think everyone with an interest in the financial health of the company and the continued existence of their customers should look at the customer feedback. 
And with a good system that delivers reports and pushes the information to people who have to know, and that can be customized depending on, on what the information is, who needs to know it, then that ensures that at least it takes away the, the element of surprise. Hey, I didn't realize that there was this opportunity. I didn't realize there was this threat. I didn't realize the customer had given us a final warning. It removes all that and and the and the need to for that to be reported to find its filter its way upwards verbally or by email, whatever, because quite often it never gets anywhere near the top until disaster has struck. Absolutely. Okay, on that note, uh, translation companies are used to working in silo, delivering what is asked of them traditionally. Things are changing now. Um, You have to become more transparent and you have to become an extension of your client's team and literally listen to the real-time challenges and issues. Now, how do you uh, develop that seamless stream of information that goes back and forth between you and your client? Well, first you need to meet your customer and uh, many companies hardly do that. They don't you know, do um, they sometimes they only go and, and meet the customer when there is a crisis, and um, it's remarkable, I think, how loyal customers are to suppliers when when they demonstrate so little um, loyalty in return. Um, customers like to see you work. They like they like to see you work to to maintain your position as their partner and that has to be visible to them and a great way to make that visible is is find good business reasons to go in and talk to them so that's the first thing i would say go out and meet your customer and especially higher up at the executive level some ceos never meet their customer not even their top customer and i do not understand that at all um or they have met them once, but it was like four or five years ago. I can't understand that, how you can run a business and not meet your customers. But let's say you're meeting your customers uh, and you've got, on a regular basis, you've got different forums for meeting them. Then you actually need to come back to, again, you need the system, uh, which includes the, you know, the people, trained people, the process technology to be able to capture the output from those meetings, share and act on that instantaneously. Okay, you do need to be engaged with your um, clients in order to, it's not just about creating that communication from your side, but the client also needs to open up. And then the only way that happens, as you said, is that the executive level conversations need to happen to to pave the way. Let's talk about lessons learned from client complaint. Uh, We touched on this a couple of times. How do you suggest such learnings be analyzed and integrated for the future when when clients have issues and, uh, you know, to prevent such scenarios? Does the customer care if you get back to them with a report on how these learnings will be applied to your practice? I think um, I touched on that earlier as well with the starting off the business reviews with all the complaints uh, that we dealt with in the last quarter and how we'd managed them and, uh, you know, corrective action and preventative action. Also then how things that we'd done well had been shared internally, uh, part of best practices, and how processes had been improved and and, uh, documented to reflect those improvements. So I think that's um, the customer does care if you get back to them like that with professional report. Absolutely, they they care and they're they're amazed because it's um, it's such a rare occurrence. Do customers in different 
part of the world uh, have different expectations. I, I know that there are cultural differences. Uh, how can a company create a uniform and consistent customer experience to satisfy their clients globally? I mean, this is very much true for the translation industry. We have clients in every continent, basically. The answer to my first question about how did I get into this business, I said I wanted to. I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, I that the lock industry would allow me to do what I wanted to do as a teenager, which is see the world and meet interesting people and learn languages. And so I've done business. I've been to 60 countries and I've done business in over 40 countries worldwide, you know, over the last 32 years. And my takeaway from that is that customer expectations regarding customer care are to all practical purposes identical. As you said, there are cultural differences, but really the customer expectations in terms of care are identical. And um, at the at Look World, there was um, the keynote speech. <laughs> I think the, the uh, presenter there said the customers have three demands. They, want, they say, know me, simplify my life, and keep your promises. And I think that is a great summary of whatever country you know, know me. So come in prepared, knowing about my business and my problems. Simplify my life by solving these problems for me and keep your promises. Do what you say you're going to do. Customers, um, I mean, they talk to you and they have needs that is related to the, the work or the business that they do, such as uh, I would like my translation to be done a certain way or so forth. But the customer, the person that you are talking to also has some covert needs. I've talked about this before in conversations with uh, Veronique Oskaya and other folks. As, as an expert in customer service, how do you identify those covert needs such as like, I want a promotion, I need to keep my job, or I want to be treated as a, as a hero in my organization. I want to be seen as an expert, as someone who's made the right decisions. If we can address those personal needs of the of our immediate buyer, I think we can have a winning chance as a supplier. How do I identify the, those uh, covert needs and address them? It's quite simple. You just ask them. All the customers I've dealt with, you know, when I actually said, well, you know, sometimes if I don't know them so well, I'd just say, you know, link it to the, the strategy. So this is your company strategy this year. How is what you're doing here helping which of those goals is what you're doing helping to drive that? And, uh, you know, how break down, how does your specific target, you know, drive that, that strategic goal? They'll tell you exactly. And I'll say, so if you've got all these things to do, what's the most important? They will tell you. <laughs> you know, and as you get to know them Interesting. Um, better, you can see which one is the one that will get you sacked if you don't. <laughs> and they will tell you because they trust you and they realize that you're on their side. You know, I wouldn't ask that question for somebody in the second meeting. But if you have an existing client and you've been working with them for three years, I had very robust conversations with my customers, especially over a beer or two sometimes. I mean, you get to know them. They are just the same as you and I are measured on things and there are things that we prioritize and we're quite happy to talk, talk to people who we trust Right. and know about them, customers are exactly the same. Understood. Do you need to uh, create a tiered customer care plan? Uh, I know some organizations do this. Do you have to have an ABC band where each category forms a specific group of customers, whether you group them based on um, revenue, based on size, and so forth? 
and do you treat each band differently? Well, um, I mentioned earlier about you know companies having fifty percent or more of their revenue from top 10 customers and then how some companies just say well we're not interested in the long tail of the customers we just focus on large ones and some are now for the ones who have a long tail that's almost like a commodity business and the customer care for them is almost always on an ad hoc basis right right so i would definitely say to anybody looking at installing a system of customer care start with your top customers you know because that's where you know that's where you can't afford you might be able to afford to lose a couple of you know customers from your bottom 500 but you can't afford to lose one or two customers from your top 10 so that's where i would focus and that also for most suppliers should make that a more manageable task you know and from then you could you know, as customers, you might say from a certain size, then you will you will add them onto the system. Very small companies might be able to do it for all their customers. You know, I did that when it was a, a very small company. But as soon as we started developing larger accounts and with a good system of customer care, small accounts will expand to large ones then you're going to focus on the larger one first. Understood. How do you create a value add to the customer? Let's say you identify an area of opportunity where the customer could accomplish their goals better or do something in a different way, which uh, will you know, result in efficiency of some sort. Do you go out to them and sell that idea to them or do you simply surprise them by solving a challenge and let them decide if you're on their side or not? Well, I mean... Um, some customers want you to involve them. They like to talk about things and then, you know, to get involved in the decision making process. It's very collaborative and that's fine. And others say, you're the experts, you know. We expect you to come up with solutions, you know, just go in and do it, you know. You know what the, our goal is. I've got to do all this work with this much budget this year. You're going to have to do something new to do that. You said, told me you could go away and do it. So you've got to know your customer. But even in the ones, I'd say, especially in the ones where they, it's more hands-off, they still see you as a strategic partner because they're trusting you to go away and do that. You definitely want to tell them what you're doing. Right. And when you've done it, what the results are. You tell them what, what you're doing and what the results will be, and then you tell them you've done it and what the results were, because that's the only way you will get uh, the recognition for it. You don't do miracles. Too many people in this industry perform miracles and don't get any recognition for it because they don't communicate it properly. If you're going to perform a miracle, get the customer to tell tell you in advance, if you if I do this for you, Mr. Customer, what am I? And he would say, you're a miracle maker, okay. And then you go off and do that and you come back and you say, I did it. And he said, you're fantastic. That's why, that's why we're staying with you. So you've got to make the communication, right? So you've got to know your, if your customer is very hands-on or very hands-off. But either way, don't do anything without them knowing it and, and recognizing it. Okay, let's talk about customer success. How do you let your customers know that their success is what you're working towards and genuinely make them uh, make that a goal for your team? I see that as a win-win situation because if the customer is successful and if they attribute that success to you, then you have their blessing and business for the long term. Yeah, well, you you do that um, as as I've part has been a theme through this whole uh, conversation 
you do that by demonstrating your knowledge of their problems, right. communicating what you're going to do to solve those problems, and reporting back to them on the results. That's it in, 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 in a sentence. I think that concludes uh, most of my questions for the conversation, but I would like uh, you know for you to share some information about uh, your current consultancy business that you have and how can people reach out to you uh, if they need help in these areas because obviously you're an expert uh, within the customer care uh, you know area within our industry yeah well in terms of i i've been in the industry for for many years and for the last two years i've been uh, running my own consulting business and in that time i have uh, worked for a uk utility company to reduce the cost of their feed-in tariff system which is um, you know if you have uh, uh, solar panels on your roof you're generating industry uh, electricity which the utility company has to pay you for it's not their core business practice they hate it they only have they only do it because the government says you have to do it i went in and i looked at uh, the processes for that they had terrible processes manual processes great people terrible processes I sorted out the process for them, saved them millions of pounds. Uh, I've I've worked for a, a Danish company that acquired a Belgian company and um, helped them with their account management and trained their account managers, right. and that worked very well. And I did a similar thing for another Swedish company. So there's that's the uh, the. Uh, an idea of the projects I've been doing. So for customer care, I've implemented the system, and I did it as a small company and I did it uh, for large companies as well so uh, if anybody is questioned about it or is is wondering is it going to be a huge thing to do they could talk to me and I could say it's it's a manageable process but you need somebody who's done it before and I've done it before account management how to position yourself as a strategic partner which is another theme that we've been talking about, you know, how you come across as trustworthy, knowledgeable, somebody to do business with. I have um, I have uh, modules for that as well, part of training account managers and salespeople too. And process improvements. You're losing money. You've won the business. Hooray, hooray. You're losing money. What the hell's up? I can help with that as well. Absolutely. And, and how do people get in touch with you? Yes. So my company is Strategy Management Consultants Limited. So they can find that online or they can drop me an email at paul at strategymanagementconsultants.com or they can go onto my LinkedIn profile, uh, Paul Doherty, and they'll find me there. Thanks, Paul, for speaking with the Translation Company Talk. I really enjoyed our conversation. I hope we can continue this conversation in the future. The customer service segment in our industry certainly needs expert advice and and help, and you're in in the right space. I look forward to speaking with you on this subject in the future, and I want to thank you for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. It's been great, and uh, I gladly do something similar in the future. As always, I'm going to review three products for this episode. These products are relevant or have value to LSEs and I evaluate them based on a number of factors and assign an overall rating to them. The first product I'm reviewing today is OS Ticket. This is an open source software developed for addressing customer issues. It can be customized to address anything from IT problems to customers having problems with their translated content. Every ticket is numbered and trackable, which can be assigned to specific individuals or departments. This is a very robust system, yet easy to configure and deploy compared to other ticket management systems. I personally like the ease of use. I do not particularly like its out-of-the-box reporting system. 
but you can always extend the feature if you need to. I would give OS Ticket a 9 out of 10. SurveyMonkey is another tool that is very popular and is the second for review in our episode today. As the name suggests, it is a tool for performing surveys and gathering feedback. It is a commercial tool which means you have to pay for a subscription. Their support is good and the interface is pretty intuitive. It allows you to perform customer surveys and you can even build your own workflows and integrate your own systems with SurveyMonkey through APIs. I will rate this tool 9 out of 10. The third tool I'm reviewing today is OTRS. It is a service management suite that includes help desk ticketing, customer management, reporting, and self-service tools. Tickets are created into a queue through a variety of channels such as chat, customer portal, email, phone, or even fax, if you still have one of those lying around. It has an SMS notification system that offers customers the chance to receive ticket updates including delivery times, order status, passwords, or even project progress. It is an open source tool with commercial modules. I give OTRS 9 out of 10. That about sums up our episode for today. We had a very interesting talk with Paul Doherty, seasoned entrepreneur and manager within the localization industry. I think his insights are very useful for our industry and we need more people like him. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and give us a good rating to boost this product's popularity. If you have any questions or comments, do reach out via email or social media. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.